Chapter 18, Part 1 of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter 18, Part 1 Reproductive Effects of Rivers Continued. Deltas formed under the influence of tides. Basin and Delta of the Mississippi, Alluvial Plain, River Banks and Bluffs, Curves of the River, Natural Rafts and Snags, New Lakes and Effects of Earthquakes, Antiquity of the Delta, Delta of the Ganges and Brahmaputra, Head of the Delta and Thunderbirds, Islands Formed and Destroyed, Crocodiles, Amount of Fluviatile Sediment in the Water, Artesian Boring at Calcutta, Proofs of subsidence, age of the delta, conversions of deltas, origin of existing deltas not contemporaneous, grouping of strata and stratification in deltas, conglomerates, constant interchange of land and sea. In the last chapter several examples were given of the deltas of inland seas, where the influence of the tides is almost imperceptible. We may next consider those marine or oceanic deltas where the tides play an important part in the dispersion of fluviatile sediment, as in the Gulf of Mexico, where they exert a moderate degree of force, and then in the Bay of Bengal, where they are extremely powerful. In regard to estuaries, which Renault termed negative deltas, they will be treated of more properly when our attention is specially turned to the operations of tides and currents, chapters 20, 21, and 22. In this case, instead of the land gaining on the sea at the river's mouth, the tides penetrate far inland beyond the general coastline. Basin and Delta of the Mississippi Alluvial Plain The hydrographical basin of the Mississippi displays, on the grandest scale, the action of running water on the surface of a vast continent. This magnificent river rises nearly in the 49th parallel of north latitude and flows to the Gulf of Mexico in the 29th, a course, including its meanders, of more than 3,000 miles. It passes from a cold climate, where the hunter obtains his furs and peltries, traverses the temperate latitudes, and discharges its waters into the sea, in the region of rice, the cotton plant, and the sugar cane. From near its mouth at the Balize, a steamboat may ascend for 2,000 miles, with scarcely any perceptible difference in the width of the river. Several of its tributaries, the Red River, the Arkansas, the Missouri, the Ohio, and others, would be regarded elsewhere as of the first importance, and taken together, are navigable for a distance many times exceeding that of the main stream. No river affords a more striking illustration of the law before mentioned than an augmentation of volume does not occasion a proportional increase of surface, nay, is even sometimes attended with a narrowing of the channel. The Mississippi is half a mile wide at its junction with the Missouri, the latter being also of equal width, yet, the united waters have only, from their confluence to the mouth of the Ohio, a medial width of about half a mile. The junction of the Ohio seems also to produce no increase, 
but rather a decrease of surface. The St. Francis, White, Arkansas, and Red Rivers are also absorbed by the main stream, with scarcely any apparent increase of its width, although here and there it expands to a breadth of one and a half, or even to two miles. On arriving at New Orleans, it is somewhat less than half a mile wide. Its depth there is very variable, the greatest at high water being 168 feet. The mean rate at which the whole body of water flows is variously estimated. According to Mr. Forshey, the mean velocity of the current at the surface somewhat exceeds two and one-fourth miles an hour, when the water is at a mean height. For three hundred miles above New Orleans, the distance measured by the winding river is about twice as great as the distance in a right line. For the first hundred miles from the mouth, the rate of fall is 1.80 inch per mile, for the second hundred, two inches, for the third, 2.30, for the fourth, 2.57. The alluvial plain of the Mississippi begins to be of great width below Cape Girardeau, 50 miles above the junction of the Ohio. At this junction it is about 50 miles broad, south of which it contracts to about 30 miles at Memphis, expands again to 80 miles at the mouth of the White River, and then, after various contractions and expansions, protrudes beyond the general coastline in a large delta about 90 miles in width from northeast to southwest. Mr. Forshey estimates the area of the Great Plain as above defined at 31,200 square miles, with a circumference of about 3,000 miles, exceeding the area of Ireland. If that part of this plain which lies below or to the south of the branching off of the highest arm, called the Achafalaya, be termed the delta, it constitutes less than half of the whole, being 14,000 square British miles in area. The delta may be said to be bounded on the east, west, and south by the sea, on the north chiefly by the broad valley plain, which entirely resembles it in character as in origin. The east and west boundaries of the alluvial region above the head of the delta consists of cliffs or bluffs, which on the east side of the Mississippi are very abrupt, and are undermined by the river at many points. They consist from Baton Rouge in Louisiana, where they commence, as far north as the borders of Kentucky, of geological formations newer than the Cretaceous, the lowest being Eocene and the uppermost consisting of loam, resembling the lows of the Rhine, and containing fresh water and land shells, almost all of existing species. These recent shells are associated with the bones of the mastodon, elephant, tapir, milodon, horse, ox, and other quadrupeds, most of them of extinct species. I have endeavored to show, in my second visit to the United States, that this extensive formation of loam is either an ancient alluvial plain or a delta of the great river formed originally at a lower level and since upheaved and partially denuded. The Mississippi in that part of its course, which is below the mouth of the Ohio, frequently washes the eastern bluffs, but never once comes into contact with the western. 
these are composed of similar formations but i learned from mr forshe that they rise up more gently from the alluvial plain it is supposed that the waters are thrown to the eastern side because all the large tributary rivers entering from the west have filled that side of the great valley with their deltas or with a sloping mass of clay and sand so that the opposite bluffs are undermined and the mississippi is slowly but incessantly advancing eastward <laughs> curves of the mississippi the river traverses the plain in a meandering course describing immense curves after sweeping round the half of a circle it is carried in a rapid current diagonally across the ordinary direction of its channel to another curve of similar shape opposite to each of these there is always a sandbar answering in the convexity of its form to the concavity of the bend as it is called the river by continually wearing these curves deep returns like many other streams before described on its own track so that a vessel in some places after sailing for twenty-five or thirty miles is brought round again to within a mile of the place whence it started when the waters approach so near to each other it often happens at high floods that they burst through the small tongue of land and insulate a portion rushing through what is called the cut-off so that vessels may pass from one point to another in half a mile to a distance which it previously required a voyage of twenty miles to reach as soon as the river has excavated the new passage bars of sand and mud are formed at the two points of junction with the old bend which is soon entirely separated from the main river by a continuous mud bank covered with wood the old bend then becomes a semicircular lake of clear water inhabited by large garfish alligators and wild fowl which the steamboats have nearly driven away from the main river a multitude of such crescent-shaped lakes scattered far and wide over the alluvial plain the greater number of them to the west but some of them also eastward of the mississippi bear testimony of the extensive wanderings of the great stream in former ages for the last two hundred miles above its mouth the course of the river is much less winding than above there being only in the whole of that distance one great curve that called the english turn this great straightness of the stream is ascribed by mr forshe to the superior tenacity of the banks which are more clayey in this region the mississippi has been incorrectly described by some of the earlier geographers as a river running along the top of a long hill or mound in a plain in reality it runs in a valley from one hundred to two hundred or more feet in depth as a c b in figure twenty four its banks forming long strips of land parallel to the course of the main stream and to the swamps g f and d e lying on each side these extensive morasses which are commonly well wooded though often submerged for months continuously are rarely more than fifteen feet below the summit level of the banks the banks themselves are occasionally overflowed but are usually above water for a breadth of about two miles they follow all the curves of the great river and near new orleans are raised artificially by embankments or levees a b 
figure 24, through which the river, when swollen, sometimes cuts a deep channel or crevice, inundating the adjoining low lands and swamps, and not sparing the lower streets of the great city. The cause of the uniform upward slope of the river bank above the adjoining alluvial plain is this. When the waters charged with sediment pass over the banks in the flood season, their velocity is checked among the herbage and reeds, and they throw down at once the coarser and more sandy matter with which they are charged. But the fine particles of mud are carried farther on, so that at the distance of about two miles a thin film of fine clay only subsides, forming a stiff, anxious black soil, which gradually envelops the base of trees growing on the borders of the swamps. Waste of the Banks It has been said of a mountain torrent that it lays down what it will remove and removes what it has laid down, and in like manner the Mississippi, by the continual shifting of its course, sweeps away, during a great portion of the year, considerable tracts of alluvium, which were gradually accumulated by the overflow of warmer years, and the matter now left during the spring floods will be at some future time removed. After the flood season, when the river subsides within its channel, it acts with destructive force upon the alluvial banks, softened and diluted by the recent overflow. Several acres at a time, thickly covered with wood, are precipitated into the stream, and large portions of the islands are frequently swept away. Some years ago, observes Captain Hall, when the Mississippi was regularly surveyed, all its islands were numbered, from the confluence of the Missouri to the sea. But every season makes such revolutions, not only in the number, but in the magnitude and situation of these islands, that this enumeration is now almost obsolete. Sometimes large islands are entirely melted away, at other places they have attached themselves to the main shore, or, which is the more correct statement, the interval has been filled up by myriads of logs, cemented together by mud and rubbish. Rafts One of the most interesting features in the great rivers of this part of America is the frequent accumulation of what are termed rafts, or masses of floating trees, which have been arrested in their progress by snags, islands, shoals, or other obstructions, and made to accumulate, so as to form natural bridges, reaching entirely across the stream. One of the largest of these was called the Raft of the Achalfalaya, an arm of the Mississippi, which was certainly at some former time the channel of the Red River, when the latter found its way to the Gulf of Mexico by a separate course. The Achafalaya being in a direct line with the general direction of the Mississippi, catches a large portion of the timber annually brought down from the north, and the drift trees collected in about 38 years previous to 1816 formed a continuous raft no less than 10 miles in length, 220 yards wide, and 8 feet deep. The whole rose and fell with the water, yet was covered with green bushes and trees, and its surface enlivened in the autumn by a variety of beautiful flowers. It went on increasing till about 1835, when some of the trees upon it had grown to the height of about 60 feet. Steps were taken then by the state of Louisiana 
to clear away the whole raft and open the navigation which was effected not without great labor in the space of four years the rafts on red river are equally remarkable in some parts of its course cedar trees are heaped up by themselves and in other places pines on the rise of the waters in summer hundreds of these are seen some with their green leaves still upon them just as they have fallen from a neighboring bank others leafless broken and worn in their passage from a far distant tributary wherever they accumulate on the edge of a sandbar they arrest the current and soon become covered with sediment on this mud the young willows and the poplars called cottonwood spring up their boughs still farther retarding the stream and as the inundation rises accelerating the deposition of new soil the bank continuing to enlarge the channel at length becomes so narrow that a single long tree may reach from side to side and the remaining space is then soon choked up by a quantity of other timber unfortunately for the navigation of the mississippi observes captain hall some of the largest trunks after being cast down from the position on which they grew get their roots entangled with the bottom of the river where they remain anchored as it were in the mud the force of the current naturally gives their tops a tendency downwards and by its flowing past soon strips them of their leaves and branches these fixtures called snags or planters are extremely dangerous to the steam vessels proceeding up the stream in which they lie like a lance in rest concealed beneath the water with their sharp ends pointed directly against the bows of the vessels coming up for the most part these formidable snags remain so still that they can be detected only by a slight ripple above them not perceptible to inexperienced eyes sometimes however they vibrate up and down alternately showing their heads above the surface and basing them beneath it so imminent until lately was the danger caused by these obstructions that almost all the boats on the mississippi were constructed on a particular plan to guard against fatal accidents but in the last ten years by the aid of the power of steam and the machinery of the snag boat as it is called the greater number of these trunks of trees have been drawn out of the mud the prodigious quantity of wood annually drifted down by the mississippi and its tributaries is a subject of geological interest not merely as illustrating the manner in which abundance of vegetable matter becomes in the ordinary course of nature embedded in submarine and estuary deposits but as attesting the constant destruction of soil and transportation of matter to lower levels by the tendency of rivers to shift their courses each of these trees must have required many years some of them centuries to attain their full size the soil therefore whereon they grew after remaining undisturbed for long periods is ultimately torn up and swept away it is also found in excavating at new orleans even at the depth of several yards below the level of the sea that the soil of the delta contains innumerable trunks of trees layer above layer some prostrate as if drifted others broken off near the bottom but remaining still erect and with their roots spreading on all sides 
as if in their natural position. In such situations they appeared to me to indicate a sinking of the ground, as the trees must formerly have grown in marshes above the sea level. In the higher parts of the alluvial plain, for many hundred miles above the head of the delta, similar stools and roots of trees are also seen, buried in stiff clay at different levels, one above the other, and exposed to view in the banks at low water. They point clearly to the successive growth of forests in the extensive swamps of the plain, where the ground was slowly raised, year after year, by the mud thrown down during inundations. These roots and stools belong chiefly to the deciduous cypress, Taxodium disticum, and other swamp trees, and they bear testimony to the constant shifting of the course of the great river, which is always excavating land originally formed at some distance from its banks. Formation of Lakes in Louisiana Another striking feature in the basin of the Mississippi, illustrative of the changes now in progress, is the formation by natural causes of great lakes and the drainage of others. These are especially frequent in the basin of the Red River in Louisiana, where the largest of them, called Bistignol, is more than 30 miles long and has a medium depth of from 15 to 20 feet. In the deepest parts are seen numerous cypress trees of all sizes, now dead, and most of them with their tops broken by the wind, yet standing erect under water. This tree resists the action of air and water longer than any other, and, if not submerged throughout the whole year, will retain life for an extraordinary period. Lake Bistuno, as well as Black Lake, Caddo Lake, Spanish Lake, Nachitohis Lake, and many others have been formed, according to Darby, by the gradual elevation of the bed of the Red River, in which the alluvial accumulations have been so great as to raise its channel and cause its waters during the flood season to flow up the mouths of many tributaries and to convert parts of their courses into lakes. In the autumn, when the level of Red River is again depressed, the waters rush back, and some lakes become grassy meadows, with streams meandering through them. Thus, there is a periodical flux and reflux between Red River and some of these basins, which are merely reservoirs, alternately emptied and filled, like our tide estuaries, with this difference that in the one case the land is submerged for several months continuously, and in the other twice in every twenty-four hours. It has happened in several cases that a raft of timber or a bar has been thrown by Red River across some of the openings of these channels, and then the lakes become, like Bistino, constant repositories of water. But even in these cases, their level is liable to annual elevation and depression, because the flood of the main river, when at its height, passes over the bar, just as, where sand hills close the entrance of an estuary on the Norfolk or Suffolk coast, the sea, during some high tide or storm, has often breached the barrier and inundated again the interior. I am informed by Mr. Featherstonehaw that the plains of the Red River and the Arkansas are so low and flat that whenever the Mississippi rises thirty feet above its ordinary level, 
those great tributaries are made to flow back and inundate a region of vast extent both the streams alluded to contain red sediment derived from the decomposition of red porphyry and since eighteen thirty three when there was a great inundation in the arkansas an immense swamp has been formed near the mamel mountain comprising thirty thousand acres with here and there large lagoons where the old bed of the river was situated in which innumerable trees for the most part dead are seen standing of cypress cottonwood of poplar the triple-thorned acacia and others which are of great size their trunks appear as if painted red for about fifteen feet from the ground at which height a perfectly level line extends through the whole forest marking the rise of the waters during the last flood but most probably the causes above assigned for the recent origin of these lakes are not the only ones subterranean movements have altered so lately as the years eighteen eleven and eighteen twelve the relative levels of various parts of the basin of the mississippi situated three hundred miles northeast of lake bistino in those years the great valley from the mouth of the ohio to that of the st francis including a tract three hundred miles in length and exceeding in area the whole basin of the thames was convulsed to such a degree as to create new islands in the river and lakes in the alluvial plain some of these were on the left or east bank of the mississippi and were twenty miles in extent as for example those named real food and obion in tennessee formed in the channels or valleys of small streams bearing the same names but the largest area affected by the great convulsion lies eight or ten miles to the westward of the mississippi and inland from the town of new madrid in missouri it is called the sunk country and is said to extend along the course of the white water and its tributaries for a distance of between seventy and eighty miles north and south and thirty miles or more east and west throughout this area innumerable submerged trees some standing leafless others prostrate are seen and so great is the extent of lake and marsh that an active trade in the skins of muskrats mink otters and other wild animals is now carried on there in march eighteen forty six i skirted the borders of the sunk country nearest to new madrid passing along the bayou st john and little prairie where dead trees of various kinds some erect in the water others fallen are strewed in dense masses over the bottom in the shallows and near the shore were conspicuous i also beheld countless rents in the adjoining dry alluvial plains caused by the movements of the soil in eighteen eleven eighteen twelve and still open though the rains frost and river inundations have greatly diminished their original depth i observed moreover numerous circular cavities called sunk holes from ten to thirty yards wide and twenty feet or more in depth which interrupt the general level of the plain these were formed by the spouting out of large quantities of sand and mud during the earthquakes that the prevailing changes of level in the delta and alluvial plain of the mississippi have been caused by the subsidence rather by the upheaval of land 
appears to me established by the fact that there are no protuberances of appraised alluvial soil projecting above the level surface of the great plain it is true that the gradual elevation of that plain by new accessions of matter would tend to efface every inequality derived from this source but we might certainly have expected to find more broken ground between the opposite bluffs had local upthrows or alluvial strata been of repeated occurrence end of chapter eighteen part one